As you have heard, my name is Ricky Wilhelm. My wife Brandy and I are from the town of Sentinel, Oklahoma, which is as big as it sounds. Uh, we were raised together, well, not together, in separate houses, but we weren't that small. Um, in the same town, um, with a population of 900 people. So keep growing, send a church plant there, and you could double the population. Uh, our parents uh, still live there, or her parents still live there. My parents recently moved back, and that is where our children are. Never in my life would I have dreamed that we would be taken on a journey to live in Moscow, Russia, a city of 20 million people, and before that, Izhevsk, Russia, doing church planting among an animistic people group. Um, but God, in His good grace, had thought of this plan for Brandy and I and, and started us on our path of suffering for the glory of God um, in a small town and then has taken us to this point. And I can say that I truly stand here today with a great hope in what God is doing in the globe and also what God is doing in our lives. Um, and truly today, I, I'm also in awe as I, I watch you all worship the Lord and, and I hear how you pray, how you talk about the gospel, and just how familiar it feels as to what we do in, in Moscow with Russian Bible Church. So thank you all for, for praying for us. Thank you all for, the, for preaching the truth and worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth so that when we come here, we can worship with you and, and feel at home. And of course, thank you for allowing me to share God's word with you. So I uh, invite you to open God's word to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and we will also read verse 25. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, and that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to bless the reading and the teaching of your word. I come to you today in weakness, and therefore I beg you, God, to show the might, show your might and your strength through the power of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So after the International Mission Board pulled Brandy and I out of Russia because of, as you heard, logistical complications, we were sent to Budapest for a couple of, Budapest, Hungary, for a couple of weeks, which was the city uh, in which my daughter was born. 
Of course, being there, we were not quite as joyful as the time that we had been there before. And although that we were distraught from having our lives turned upside down and leaving our home in Moscow, in God's gracious providence, He blessed us with an unexpected meeting. The day that we arrived to Budapest, two of our church members from Russian Bible Church happened to be passing through Budapest on their way to Germany. You see, a few years ago, Maxime and Victoria repented, were baptized, and joined our church, Russian Bible Church. And since then, they've been very, very faithful members, serving in a variety of ways. So why were they on their way to Germany? Well, Maxime is a Russian, but Victoria, or Vika, is a citizen of Ukraine. And she never really hesitated to speak out online against the conflict in Donbass, and then, of course, the invasion of Ukraine. And unfortunately, quickly after the start of the war, migration services started to look for Vika. Why? They really aren't sure, but they decided to leave the country for a while just in case. Additionally, they were actually headed to Germany to meet Vika's parents who were fleeing Ukraine and on their way to cross the border. And we found out that they happened to be passing through Budapest. We, we found each other. We met for dinner and spent a couple of hours just comforting one another, rejoicing in the Lord's work, praying together, and remembering all the good things that God had done in our lives through Russian Bible Church. We sat there so long that my son actually fell asleep in the restaurant. But as we were sitting at the table, we, we had a very, very sobering moment. Vika's mother called, and if I'm not mixing up the details, it was while we were sitting in the restaurant that they, they passed into Germany. So Brandy and I started to ask Vika and Max how her parents were doing. And she shared one of the most shocking and glorious testimonies of her mother and father's confidence in God's providence. Now imagine this. Imagine the setting. Her mother and father's city had just been bombed. And they're driving on a dangerous road out of a war-torn territory and headed towards the border. And over the phone, her mother hears the hurt and anger in Vika's voice, especially in reference to President Putin. And Vika's mother says something like this, Vika, don't let your heart be angry. Vladimir Putin is just an instrument in the hands of God, fulfilling his will, exactly as the Lord had planned in eternity past. God will be glorified, and somehow the gospel will spread, and more people are going to believe in him because of this war. Somehow the gospel will spread, and more people are going to believe in him because of this war. This was what Vika's parents were rejoicing in, as they had just lost life as they knew it. Brothers and sisters, there are a few things for me more humbling and inspiring than the testimonies of mature saints persevering through suffering for the glory of God 
without losing their joy and hope in Christ. And today, in the verses that we read, we will see how Paul had a similar reaction to his own suffering. And there's really one lesson that I want you to learn from Paul today, and that is that the gospel going to the nations is worth suffering for. It is worth suffering of any kind. And I want to try to point out three reasons why from this text. As we read Paul's words, the first truth I think you need to see is that suffering in missions leads to great joy. Paul may have suffered more than any believer in the history of the church. He records his, his suffering in 2 Corinthians 11. He says that five times he had received 39 lashings from the hands of the Jews. Three times he was beaten with rods once he was stoned. He had to travel constantly, and he had just barely survived three shipwrecks. Whether at sea, in the city, or in the countryside, he frequently encountered danger from the elements, danger from people, from robbers, from his own countrymen, from Gentiles, and from false converts. He had to work himself to exhaustion, often without sleep. He was hungry and thirsty, often without food, often caught in the cold without warm clothing. Now imagine that you are applying to work in a profession that led to this kind of misery. At some point, I think you would say, you know, this job's really not worth this. And I think that most people would agree with you. However, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. How is this possible? I mean, this is why I, I chose this passage, I chose to write this sermon because I just wanted to wrap my own mind around how it was possible for Paul to rejoice in suffering. See, most of us, we don't manage to re rejoice in inconvenience, much less in suffering. And maybe you're thinking, these are the words of a madman. These are the words of a crazy person. But life in the kingdom of God often turns our thinking upside down. Our life is a paradox to worldly people. If you want to live, you must die. The last will be first, and the greatest will be a servant. And indeed, these words sound like madness if your own well-being is one of your greatest values. You see, the reason why Paul could rejoice in suffering is because Jesus set him free from selfishness. Notice that he said that his suffering was not for his own sake, but for their sake. You see, being outwardly focused and striving for self-sacrifice is central to Christian joy. People lose their joy when they become self-centered because self-centeredness causes Self-centeredness contradicts the very gospel. And this is true because when selfish people experience hardship or persecution or, resi or resistance or suffering, they think, I deserve better than this. They do not believe that they have earned the circumstances or the treatment in which they find themselves. But since Paul recognized he was the chief of sinners... He believed that 
he deserved nothing. No circumstance could shake his joyous confidence that his life was under the care and control of a good God working for his good purpose. Brothers and sisters, some of you, some of you are filled with discontentment at home, at your workplace, and perhaps even in the church. Because you go to all those places with a desire to be served rather than to serve. You are blinded with a spirit of consumerism and convenience instead of self-sacrifice. Trust me, friend, it is not your boss's fault that you are joyless at work. It is not your wife's or your husband's fault that you are discontent at home. It is not your elder's fault that you grumble in your church. Because Christians should always be able to find joy in all places and in all circumstances because our greatest concern should be serving God and serving others. And opportunities to serve God and others will never be in short supply. But what worries me is that many believers appear to have no more ambition for God's glory than the world does. Many Christians have no dreams of pouring themselves in service to God and others. You just want to do a little work, have a few kids, and enjoy a few hobbies. And people are trying to convince you that this is the good life, to pursue comfort, self-promotion, and as little inconvenience as possible. Dear friends, don't believe them. This is not the path to rejoicing. Paul wasn't crazy. He was probably one of the most sober and joyful people who ever walked the planet. Paul had found a purpose of infinite value and he poured himself out for it. He understood that the unstoppable purpose of God in history is for the gospel to spread to all peoples of the world and to take root in Christ-exalting churches. And if this brings joy to God, it will be the purpose that brings joy to us. Paul could joyfully dedicate himself to God and others because he was set free from the need to wallow in self-loathing and self-pity. Think about your suffering and your hardships today. And don't try to compare yours with mine. Don't try to compare, uh, and I will try not to compare mine with my friends in Ukraine. Because definitely suffering has different degrees. And what God has appointed for you may not be what he has appointed for others. But some of you are suffering right now with, with sleepless nights because of an infant. Some of you, of you are suffering in a low-paying, thankless job. Perhaps recently you've been di diagnosed with a life-altering illness. Yes, suffering and hardship have different degrees, but that doesn't mean that you are not suffering. And therefore, that doesn't mean that you can't be a witness and rejoice 
in the circumstances in which God sent you and which God gave you to steward. But you must check if you are prone to grumbling amid, amidst your suffering. Have you turned your focus inward? Are you seeking to serve yourself and take care of yourself as opposed to seeking to be a witness and serve others? Fight to find the joy of self-forgetfulness through suffering. Next, I want to point out that suffering in missions puts the sufficiency of Jesus Christ on display to the nations. Suffering in missions puts the sufficiency of Jesus Christ on display to the nations. In verse 24, Paul had a very peculiar way of describing his ministry. He says, In my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. So what was lacking in Christ's afflictions? If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it to you. John Piper wrote an inspirational little book of short biographies of people that suffered immensely for the sake of the gospel. It's called Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ. And in the introduction of that book, he offered a very insightful commentary, which I'll try to paraphrase for you this morning. But first, let's talk about what we know it doesn't mean. Paul does not mean that Christ's death and resurrection are insufficient to completely pay for your sins. Because in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 of this very same letter, he talks about how your record of debt was completely canceled out in Christ. This would directly contradict the apostolic teaching in which we believe and which the apostles preached. And if you have truly believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you can be sure that His sacrifice was sufficient to pay for all of your sins. And His resurrection is the foundation of that confidence. So I think what Paul means here is by saying that something is lacking is that Christ's afflictions have not been made known to all peoples. In other words, he is saying, I am bringing about the intended result of Christ's suffering. What was the intended result? The salvation of people from all nations. So why do I think this? And again, I say, I'm drawing from Piper's commentary. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 30, feel free to, to turn there. Paul uses almost the exact same phrase to describe Epaphroditus' delivery of the gift which the church in Philippi sent to Paul. Paul wrote, For he nearly died, meaning Epaphroditus, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And in this situation, what was lacking was that the church's presentation 
of a gift to Paul. They had taken up a gift and chosen Epaphroditus to pass that gift on to Paul. And as representatives, as a representative of this church, Epaphroditus extended their ministry to Paul. Their ministry reached him through Epaphroditus. So what was lacking was fulfilled by his extension. In the same way, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions is that people still don't know about it. There are people in your city, and there are nations brought to your city in God's providence who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message has not been delivered to them. And Christ has prepared a perfect gift for the world by suffering and dying for sinners. It is the perfect gift of atonement of those sinners. However, there is one lack. Christ personally does not come in the flesh to present the gift to everyone. And God's solution for this lack is to call the people of God, to call the people of Christ, people like Paul, to make a personal presentation of the afflictions of Christ to the world. And as, and as God's ambassadors, we preach the gospel to all nations. As, as, as the church, we send more ambassadors to those who have less access to the gospel. And as God sends the nations to us, we find them in our cities and we pray for them and we befriend them and we preach the gospel to them. And, and by our evangelism, by our sending, by our faithfulness and missions, we extend the application of Christ's afflictions to the nations as the nations repent and believe in Him. But as I look at verse 24, I can't help but notice that what is shocking about this is how Paul identifies his own personal sufferings very closely with Christ's. And he says that his own sufferings in the flesh it is his own sufferings in the flesh that fill up Christ's afflictions. And indeed, these sufferings have no redemptive benefit for the church. We understand that. But they are the inevitable accompaniment of Paul's commission to proclaim the gospel. He talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. He said, We always carry in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul says that he exhibits the sufferings of Christ by suffering himself for those he is trying to win with the gospel. And the same is true for the church who are also united with Christ. And this is why John Piper says the following, God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. God really means for the body of Christ, the church, to experience some of the suffering He did, so that when we proclaim the cross as the way to life, people will see the marks of the cross in us and feel the love of the cross 
from us. Our calling is to make the afflictions of Christ real for people by the afflictions we experience in bringing them the message of salvation. As a Westerner whose one of, one of whose values is always the pursuit of convenience and comfort. Can we agree on that? Most people I've noticed in America don't even turn on their own lights anymore. Alexa does it for them. It is a hard message for us to accept and to believe that suffering and our witness as we endure afflictions is not just a consequence of preaching the gospel. It is a part of Jesus' design for the effective spread of the gospel. These things are inseparable. And therefore, Peter wrote, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the human passions, but for the will of God. Paul could rejoice in suffering because he knew this was part of God's plan to save a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So who are you displaying the afflictions of Christ to? Are you living in community with others in such a way that people can be a witness of the glory of God in how you handle suffering and hardship? Do you pursue actively circumstances which could possibly lead to your inconvenience, your suffering, so that others can hear the gospel and see the cross and the love of Jesus displayed before them? This is the path to rejoicing. This is what Christian suffering is all about. And the last reason why the gospel going to the nations is worth suffering for is because suffering in missions results in stunning congregations with unshakable confidence in their salvation. So in verse 24, Paul claims that he was suffering for whom? For the sake of the Colossians. And then he repeats this point in verse 25. But how was Paul's suffering a benefit to the Colossians? If Paul had been a missionary who had suffered while preaching in Colossae, it'd be easy to understand. But don't forget, turn over to chapter 1. Paul didn't start this church. Earlier in the chapter, earlier in chapter 1, he, he clearly said that Colossae had learned the gospel from Epaphras. So how could Paul say that his suffering and ministry were for the Colossians? whom he had never met, and a church which he had never attended. I believe the key to understanding this starts in verse 25. It would continue through verse 27, 28, 29, but unfortunately we don't have time to cover all of those. But he says that he had a stewardship to make the word of God fully known. 
Paul is called the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, served the church by explaining the meaning and significance of many obscure Old Testament passages which talked about the inclusion of Gentiles into the people of God. In verse 26 and 27, he calls these passages a mystery, but that the mystery from Ephesians 3, we, we, we remember, was now made clear in Christ. And the essence of this mystery was that Christ's sacrifice broke down every barrier between God and man, but also between God's people and the nations. Christ has made it possible for anyone to believe in Him, receive forgiveness of sins, and become part of the people of Yahweh. And Paul's task was to open the door for a universal proclamation of this gospel. And people hated him for it. Paul suffered at the hands of the Jews since he claimed that access to God was, was possible outside of the Jewish religion and temple. Paul suffered at the hand of the Gentiles because the gospel called these people to leave their false religion behind and trust in the one true God. However, in spite of this, his mission resulted in supernaturally diverse congregations gathering throughout the Roman Empire. Jews and Gentiles were gathering together to serve and worship Jesus because Christ died so that he could make one new man in Christ. Paul's suffering related to Colossians in that his personal difficulties came because of his attempts to convince the Jews to accept the Gentile believers. He worked to convince, that all, to convince all people of the legitimacy of the gospel. And he wanted the good news of Jesus Christ to give an unshakable confidence to the church that every believer in the gospel is a legitimate member of the kingdom of God. Friends and guests, you can also become a beneficiary of God's kingdom and a member of his family a member of his church, if you will trust in the word of God which the apostles preach and which we continue to preach today. You see, there is only one creator and ruler of the universe, only one authority, and you have lived in rebellion against him. However, although you treated him as the enemy, God became man to save you. He lived the obedient life that you refused to, and he died on the cross to pay for the sins which you committed and rose so that you could be justified before a righteous God and a righteous judge. And today, if you'll confess that you're a sinner who can only be forgiven by believing in Jesus Christ and repent of your rebellion and submit to His authority, then you can become a member of His kingdom. Of course, you might look around the room and think, know that I really belong here. But this is what's amazing. This is why the church is so stunning. That's kind of the point. For every person with their background and their culture and their story, every person that, that joins his body makes, makes the kingdom of God a little bit more diverse. And that's a beautiful thing. It is the power of the gospel that creates a unity 
between an American and a Russian, a Russian and a Ukrainian. Faith in Jesus tears down dividing walls of hostility. Faith in Jesus builds bonds of peace with those whom you never would have pursued fellowship with outside of Christ. But let me warn you, and let me remind you, church, that as beneficiaries of the apostolic message, the gospel, we are called to further steward the gospel, to share the glorious truth of salvation with others. And that means we will inevitably experience the suffering that goes with it. Of course, many of you are asking, Ricky, so what do you want me to do? Do you expect me to pack my bags and go with you to Eastern Europe or to to move to Asia or Africa? I would not ask you to do that. Some of you should. And some of you should begin praying about that today. But many people I would actually discourage from choosing to do that. But what I am asking you to do is just do something. Do something that you have never done before. Maybe that's teaching a three- to five-year-old's class. Maybe that's leading a Bible study for the first time with your teenagers in your home. Maybe that's praying consistently with your wife. Maybe that's meeting a new neighbor. Do something. But I want you to encourage you to do something that would put you on a path of sacrifice which helps more people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am convinced that true joy is only found by enjoying the glory of God and living for His mission. The gospel is going, the gospel going to the nations is worth suffering for. Let's pray. God, we Thank you that while we were in rebellion against you, while we were dead in our trespasses, you made us alive in Christ. God, we thank you for those who took a risk to share the gospel with us. God, we thank you for those who are sharing the gospel with the nations in Charlotte and to the ends of the earth. And God, we thank you for the honor and the privilege that it is to be witnesses of your glory wherever you have us. God, I thank you for the privilege of observing and being on the front row of your glory in Russia. But God, I pray that our hearts would not seek a worldly contentment. I pray that we would strive to serve others and to deny ourselves and to take up the cross and to follow you as we preach the gospel. God, use Oakhurst as an example 
of joy in the midst of suffering and use them to bring many believers, new believers into your kingdom and use them to raise up mature believers who will display your glory to the nations. Oh, I ask for this in Jesus' name alone. Amen.